This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? Sequels suck. Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about money, boys! Here we go again. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Franchise Fatigue. This is a show where we explore film series one movie at a time. I am your host, Gabe Green, and as always, I am here with my co-host, James Hamrick. What's up, man? Nothing much. Excited to finish our first horror series. Yeah, this is a it's been a fun series. Um maybe a little bit of spoilers. I'm not sure it's ending on the highest note, but uh yes, yeah, definitely been fun to go through. And uh even though I'm I know not neither of us is might be the biggest fan of this film, I think there's a lot of interesting conversation to be had as to why all that is. So this should be a fun discussion. So uh, today, as you said, we are finishing up the Evil Dead series with the uh, 2013 remake of the 1980-something film of the same name, with a V at the beginning. But before we get into discussion on that, I want to ask you guys, if you enjoy the show, to please uh, head over to iTunes and give us a five-star review. We would be very appreciative of that. And also uh, like us on Facebook. And before we move into the main topic, I asked on Facebook and Twitter what uh, listeners thought of this, these films, and I got, we got a couple of responses. At Sin Sound Radio uh, from Cinematic Sound Radio on Twitter said, It's an outstanding remake. J- uh, Jane Levy, those eyes. Wow. Uh, Aaron Morton's gripping cinematography, brilliant practical effects. Uh, Roke Banos' uh, groundbreaking score. Uh, never has an air raid siren sounded so terrifying. Um Yes, I was listening to this, uh, the uh, score as well, and that air raid siren is very chilling. Yeah, it, it's crazy. Like as we'll as we'll obviously talk about later, I'm I don't dislike this movie at all. Uh, well, I dislike aspects of it, but uh, I'm more positive than anything. However, I will agree with everything he said. Uh, the cinematography is genuinely fantastic. Uh, the practical effects are disturbing in every way that they meant to be. The score is really really cool. And Jane Levy is amazing. And yes, those eyes. <laughs> and then on Facebook, our friend or Eric Skorzynski from the awesome but uh, sadly defunct Gut Reactions podcast said, on a craft level, it's the best uh, Evil Dead movie, but he refers to the uh, Sam Raimi films, which we do too. So I uh, thank you for that uh, input, guys. And moving into the main discussion, why don't you tell us a little bit how this film came to the big screen, James? Sure. So... Um... To talk about, we need to talk about the the director because he actually had a big part to play with the the making of this film, uh, even as, as so far as its concept goes. So in 2009, Fetty Alvarez released a four-minute short film that went viral called Attack de Panico, which is a uh, panic attack in Spanish. Uh, and I know it took at least three years to make because he debuted a trailer for it in 2006. Uh, it premiered at the Buenos Aires Rojo Sangri Film Festival on Halloween in 2009 and then was subsequently posted on YouTube three days later. Uh, and immediately following the release, Alvarez was offered numerous deals from uh, various producers, including a $30 million offer to direct a feature-length version of his short film. Uh, there was an interview on BBC Radio uh, where he said, uh, I uploaded Panic Attack on a Thursday, and on Monday, my inbox was totally full of emails from Hollywood Studios. Oh, wow. But looking at that, you know, from from a short film in 2009, he's had a pretty cool uh, rise through the ranks in Hollywood. Yeah, reportedly, this, his, uh, the video is made off of $300. So, like, to just oh, wow. <laughs> to do what he did and to be, like, just the talent recognized and instantly shoot up the way he did is really, really cool. 
Um, so as a result of that, he w- he went through numerous meetings with just all sorts of different people uh, with different deals. One of those people was Sam Raimi. And that was because Ra- both Raimi and Robert Tappert were really impressed with his use of, of CGI and the way um, he kind of grounded it in the environment and thought his he had a real knack for... Uh, for cinematography and, and just the way he shot, they were both really impressed. Uh, so uh, the discussion on a continuation of the Evil Dead series began because Alvarez told Raimi how much of a fan of the series he was. Uh, and there's an interview with Bruce Campbell where Campbell said that Raimi uh, and Tapper actually approached Alvarez after the video um, to potentially make a sequel um, or a continuation of some sort for the series. Uh, however, Alvarez ended up pitching a loose remake of the original uh, for modern audiences that would focus on an approach that pretty much mirrored the, the approach of the original, but with more modern practical effects. Um, and Campbell was initially hesitant. However, the concept eventually won him over, uh, with Campbell stating he was particularly excited to see what the original film could look like if it had a budget and modern equipment and and modern effects and experienced actors. <laughs> One of the things I, I really like listening to interviews with him where he was, he's very much, he hates that the first one sometimes is considered comedic by a lot of people. He's very, very, he's like, it's not a comedy. It's not supposed to be funny. He's like, we were all, he, he's very open. He's like, we were all very inexperienced actors and we had very low budget. Naturally, a lot of that is going to come off comedic by today's standards. However, he's like, no, this was a horror movie. And so that's, I think that's why, well, actually, I know, you know, according to him, that is a huge reason as to why he ended up getting really excited about it, just to to see the fulfillment of what they were originally going for in the 80s. And once he got on board and the script was finished, um, he was just the biggest supporter of the script, telling everybody how awesome it was going to be. That's funny because I I would have thought that he'd be the type to just kind of roll with it. Oh yeah, it was always meant to be a comedy kind of thing. Yeah, I think he's just aware enough of what each individual film was going for, um, and I think that's part of what makes Evil Dead Two and Army of Darkness like so endearing to me is because in their attempt at horror, there was some moments that came off as cheesy, and they acknowledge it like yeah. We were cheesy, so let's play to our strengths and do that. It just seems like an acknowledgement of, of why these movies are the way they are. So while there's a lot of, uh, while there's much now publicized about plans for a sequel to both this and Army of Darkness, uh, they were planning on, yeah, a sequel to this film, this remake, along with Army of Darkness 2, and then a third film that, were, that was uh, going to bring Mia and Ash together. Mm. However, despite that, and, and Campbell has, has been very open about that being uh, a plan, that was before um, Ash versus the Evil Dead, though. Which is what Army of Darkness 2 morphed into. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, however, I'm led to believe that wasn't originally the plan. Um, because in an interview, Alvarez was asked if, if this was a sequel, and his response was, or, uh, you know, a sequel... To, to the original trilogy and within the same continuity. And his response was very vague and kind of amounted to maybe if you want it to be, it kind of could be, uh, but no definite answer. So I'm thinking after the success of this one, that's when they're like, okay, we, we played it loose enough uh, and it is popular. Now let's, let's merge these two. Mm. Uh, but I don't think it was written and directed to to be cemented within that same continuity. Yeah, I actually, I actually had that quote uh, written down. Um he said, uh, now the way I personally see the Evil Dead, 
uh, for his remake, is as a story that takes place 30 years after Evil Dead ended. Uh, the car is there, the cabin is there, and the book was fo- has found its way back to the cabin. New kids will encounter and suffer its wrath. Is it an Evil Dead sequel? Maybe. <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of like, it could be, but they're not really committing to that either. Yeah, and, and then like I said, the following the success, um, it definitely seemed as if they really had plans to bring me and Ash together. And that would have been really cool because my favorite thing about this probably is Mia. <laughs> Those are two very different tones, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, the script was uh, ri- the original script was written by Fede Alvarez and his frequent, coll- and his frequent collaborator, Rodo Sieges. But then screenwriter uh, Diablo Cody came on to do an uncredited polish to basically make the dialogue sound better in English since that wasn't the writer's first language. So when it came to casting the film, um, Bruce Campbell actually had uh, a large role in selecting the actors and actresses. Uh, He said both he, Raimi, and Tappert kind of found their strengths. Um, Apparently Tappert was uh, very much involved in the sound editing and mixing of the film uh, because all three very much wanted to feel as if they had an imprint on the film. Um, so when it came to casting Mia, uh, Campbell didn't want someone to just play, you know, the switch gender version of Ash or even someone who, who would naturally strike a lot of similarities. Uh, originally actress Lily Collins, who is known for having just played, uh, Snow White in Mirror Mirror at the time, uh, was originally cast as Mia. However, there uh, ended up being scheduling conflicts, so she was forced to drop out. Um, shortly afterwards... Uh, Jane Levy was cast as Mia Allen. Um, the rest of the cast were uh, the rest of the casting was pretty smooth. It was just um, you know the typical amount of people auditioning, and they they found the people they liked really quickly. Uh, Shiloh Fernandez was cast as David Allen, um, the pseudo protagonist for part of it. Um, Lou Taylor uh, Pucci, I think. Uh, as Eric, Jessica Lucas as Olivia, Elizabeth Blackmore as Natalie, Jim McClarty as Harold. Um, Is that the father in the beginning? I think so. Um, C.N. Davis as that creepy old woman at the very beginning. Um, Randall Wilson as the taker of souls slash abomination Mia, uh, is what he's credited as. And lastly, Rupert Dacus, uh, Rupert Dacus, uh, voiced the demon in it. Despite uh, Alvarez having an extensive background in CGI, which was that that short panic attack was like a gigantic alien invasion, was like very CGI heavy. But when he came to this film, uh, he had a, a very strong commitment to doing everything. Like not just like we're gonna have a lot of practical effects. He wanted to do everything with practical. Like there's a little bit of CGI, but it's basically just to touch up shots. Pretty much everything you see in this film was done for real. That's pretty crazy, just considering how insane and over the top the gore and gore effects and makeup are is pretty much all practical that, that's just impressive and of course having all of that gore and makeup uh, made the shoot quite miserable for the cast uh that just sounds familiar where did they hear that before <laughs> hmm. the final sequence was particularly difficult for jane levy since the entire climax took uh took place in the cold mud with a constant rain of fake blood um, Bruce Campbell gave the cast some advice as, um, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, there's going to come a time or several times in the shoot where you're just going to want to break down, tear off all the makeup and go to your trailer and cry. 
And when that happens, just go to your trailer and cry, but make sure you don't tear off the makeup. <laughs> and uh, the score was composed, as we mentioned before, by Spanish composer Roque Banos. And finally, the movie was released on April 5th of 2013. And this is a first time viewing for both of us, which aside from, yes, aside from new releases, which I've, I usually have seen twice, this is the first time both of us uh, have only seen the movie once, which is kind of, I, you know, I normally like to watch them more than once, but uh, I, don't, <laughs> I couldn't do this one twice in a week. Uh, yes. So James, what did you think of this film? So honestly, I think my final thoughts would would benefit from a second viewing, um, and I'm actually interested to see it for a second time. Uh, however, after the the first viewing, I don't know. Part of me wonders how fair I treated the movie because of you know just the name and and what I personally enjoy from the series. Um, I th- I think my my final thoughts are mostly positive, but it they just. They fit, they vary from one extreme to the other based on what we're talking about in it. Um, the tone, I thought, you know, like it's a huge departure from the the series itself, um, and that didn't really work for me the whole time. I, I I love the fact that they tried to come at this from a very grim, gritty, you know, realistic, relatively speaking. Um, angle however whenever they kind of stick in quotes yes again relatively speaking um i i really like that and whenever whenever this movie focused on just the atmosphere and the tension it is it's i mean i've said this multiple times just to different people like on various facebook groups now but whenever he really does focus on trying to ramp up the tension it borders greatness uh, there is a lot of fantastic stuff in the movie. Yeah, However, yeah, have you seen uh, "Don't Breathe"? I have, and "Don't Breathe," "Don't Breathe" is pretty much what you if you take the best parts of this movie and make an entire movie about it. It's a masterclass in building and sustaining tension. Yes, that I mean, highly recommend that film. Just gonna take time to say that because it's incredible. Uh, I think the the biggest thing that keeps me from really enjoying this film, like I know many do, is because it doesn't just kind of dip its toes into like torture porn. It it very much revels in that for numerous scenes. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that kind of betrays the gritty realism where we're trying to be realistic. We're trying to make them feel like these real characters. <laughs> and then they're just sustaining like uh, crowbar blows to the head and, nail like 20 nail guns being shot through their arms and and nobody's passing out and and this person is just straight sawn through her arms super like not super easy but i mean <laughs> once it makes contact with the skin she's like pushing through it all the way and we're just focusing on it and so it it starts to feel during those moments it feels like the later entries in the saw franchise which i'm not fond of at all um and they end up coming at the cost of of these interesting character ideas that show up at the beginning of the movie. Um, and so I, I just think if they focus less and like a little bit less, I get it. The movie is supposed to be gory. I like, I, I complained about not enough gore in army of darkness. I, <laughs> I want a level of gore to be brought to this film. Absolutely. That's just part of what the series is. However, I think it, they focus too much on that. And we lost some of the interesting ideas that if focused more on, would have been what really separated this film from the others from the others as opposed to just a tonal difference. 
yeah, the film seems to be kind of of two minds. Like, what, what, what I love about this movie doesn't even feel like it needs to be an Evil Dead sequel or a remake. Like, the core, the, the, the what I see, what I feel like Alvarez and co thought the heart of the movie was is, I guess, kind of a parable for addictions, you know, and detox and the way that the way that affects a person and destroys relationships like that, that seemed to be what they were going for, you know, as the heart of the film. And for the first half hour, 40 minutes, that's what the movie is about. And then it stops and says, oh, wait, we're an Evil Dead film. Let's just hurt a lot of people a lot of times a lot. And they do that for 40 minutes. And then at the end, they realize, oh, wait, we're supposed to be a, an intelligent and, uh, you know, emotional story about these characters. Let's do that for another five minutes and then go back to the evil dead with, with raining blood at the end. It's it it feels like it, there are two movies here. I can't even say they're at war with each other because they're very um, they feel like very deliberately uh, sequestered into their uh, their sections. But there are, there are two movies in this film that don't really belong together, I feel. But let's just go go into what I do really like about this film and that that whole concept that that I think is rather brilliant that the um the writers brought to this remake. Uh they're ma- making you know that that the possession, you know, the evil debt, you know, being possessed by evil kind of that al- uh, allegory for addiction. I think I think it's rather interesting and pretty well executed, especially like in the first half when she's going through detox and just crazy that scene where she's walking in circles in the rain. Oh, I think his filmmaking suffers a little bit when he just goes into torture porn just because the, he, he just want to sick the camera. They're like, oh, you've got these awesome effects. Just watch these effects. But when he's actually trying to build tension, like the cinematography is gorgeous. Like the shot of her sitting on the uh, on the, the car, the car, um, mm. or th- from the inside of the well as they're all leaning over, she's dumping her drugs. Or that, that shot I mentioned of, the, uh, of her like walking in circles in the rain. But what I really love is once stuff starts happening and she starts seeing things. I love that it's almost like the as she is trying to, you know, get clean, her evil, like this the 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 demon, I guess, of, of addiction, of this whatever this is, like an evil side of her is coming out like and it is that and it's it's torturing her and it's making her turn on her friends and it's just like destroying their relationships and she becomes this inc- like incredibly cruel and manipulative to everyone around her you know it's like the friendships are being destroyed all and like and you know she goes and like beats the dog almost to death and and I love it it's it's kind of like juxt- the, the the possession is showing itself as this very very surreal image of this other evil side of herself um, which I really liked in the way, you know, they, they finally had to come together in the end. You know, she finally has to face down whatever this demon is in her. Like, that's cool. Um, But once the possession becomes physical, she just becomes like she ceases to be a character and she's just she's just the deadite for like 40 minutes of the film. And so by the time we finally come around, we're like, oh, yeah, Maya's a character. <laughs> You know, she's like 40 minutes where she's pretty much MIA. MIA. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Where she's just gone. And then at the end, we're like, she's supposed to just come back as the main character again, despite the fact that her brother's been the main character for the majority of the film. It just doesn't work. Like when she finally has her victory over her evil side, 
not only has have we lo- have we lost all connection to her as a character, the film has lost any and all connection to the central allegory it was playing for the first forty minutes. Yeah, it just it doesn't. I, I love that idea, and I think there are so many clever things. I, I really love when the when the horror is surreal, like the sequence where she where she tries she tries to escape and is driving away, and she sees the the creature and she's running through the woods and she's seeing herself around and. It leads to the, that that scene, but just that whole sequence is so masterfully crafted, and it is just chilling. But again, I think once we get to the Evil Dead portion, the film just loses all of that. Yeah, what do you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I agree with all of that. I was really, really taken by the first forty minutes of this film. I remember I messaged you saying because I you watched it before I did, and I knew that you weren't particularly wowed by it. Uh, at least as a whole and so after the first 40 minutes i was like okay i can tell i'm gonna like this a lot more than you because i hadn't heard your reasoning yet and like you i was this idea i remember whenever we first see her just lashing out and she's going crazy and and then the friend reveals to the brother um we've done this before she got nine hours. She's going to tell you anything. She's going to do anything. At that moment, and then it's revealed that Mia was possessed. I was like, oh my goodness. She is going to genuinely be begging to leave. Mm-hmm. They think it's a, like it's such a cool device to contain him there. Yeah, because you, you ha- like the previous film, you're just wondering why are these... Like, well, it's a problem with all horror films. Like, why don't these morons leave? Exactly. And they give and them so- a reason. That that's what that's what impressed me so much. Like they they realize that they acknowledge that we have to keep them here all night. Potentially, like like how, how do we do that without just sounding silly and without just taking out the bridge, which they do. In this way, it looks more realistic, at least. Um, <laughs> it's not curved into a hand this time. Yeah, but hey, that visual is still awesome, so I'll forgive it. Um, but yeah, I just I I remember like getting goosebumps thinking that's how they do it. Not only. Do they have a contextual reason to stay? But like the scenes of Mia pleading are going to be like, oh, this is so tough to watch, but in a good way. And it puts you in that bizarre place where you know there are freaking demons out there and they're going to kill you. You have to leave now. Yet I grew with her brother. She needs to detox and they can't let her go. It's it's, it's really well done. Though. They, they are able to balance both sides of that. Yeah, and so getting all of that and then combined with what I do think is a concept throughout, which is um, just the visuals. The the color palette for this movie is like terrifying to me. Everything just feels drowned out and grays and and muddy browns. It just it feels oppressive. And his, and the cinematography is incredible such a such a weird and unique use of snap zooms where like they're they're highlighting acts like adorable shake and will like quick zoom right into it but it not in a way that avoids being cheesy at all and i remember the scene where she's trying to escape and and yes we get the tree scene but before that moment though when she's suspended and we see like the deadite version of her and they do like that lord of the rings jaws trick where they start messing with the depth perception, and, and the, it's it's terrifying in the moment. And so I was just like, "This is great so far! Like, how could how could anybody dislike this?" And you you messaged me. I just said, "Wait for it." Yeah. And so I I was really really impressed by the first act in this movie. Another element that I think is semi successful 
is trying to build up this history between uh, uh, Maya and David, your brother. Yeah. Um, where the the mother apparently he left. You know, he left to you know work. He was in a different area. Then the mother became sick, and she, uh, Maya was left with the dying mother to take care of her. And not and and Maya and all the other friends that who are gathered there, you know, for to help her through this detox, all just kind of resent him. Like everyone just kind of just like treats him like scum, especially the guy with the guy with glasses and long hair. I don't know any of the names, but like they're all they kind of hate him, and because he you know he's a coward, he leaves. He doesn't and he's not there for it. And then you know that all kind of moves to the end where he finally makes the commitment to be there and save her. It was kind of funny because the first. 30 minutes they made this really big deal you know you're never there you you'll always leave you're a coward and then he's but he's, he's like no i'm here for her and then once she becomes possessed it's oh wait you gotta kill her you're a coward you gotta kill her you, you gotta do what you have to do and kill her and then in the end is wait in the end he has to kill her and save her it's just it felt kind of weird like wait, wait what is he saying is, is is he a coward because he wants to leave or is he a coward because he won't kill her um but I think it actually just comes together quite nicely where he actually he gets to do both. But again, same thing is that relationship disappears for 40 minutes or for like 40 minutes to an hour. The you know the most important section of the film is just absent because it's just, oh, we got to hurt people a lot. Uh, then it comes back at the end and then he's, he's killed off. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I think that relationship itself is is pretty good. Better, at least, than definitely the, the genre norm. Better than Ash and uh, what's your face? Linda. <laughs> the... The woman who's been portrayed by three different women. Or, oh, sorry, his sister. Oh, that's right, that's right. The one he doesn't care about if she dies. Oh, yeah, well, she's dead. What are you going to do? <laughs> but yeah, I, I thought, I like the sense of history. And, and like, there's so much history to reference. And I'm glad that, you know, we avoid just just blatant exposition. But I do wish we got more about this friend group, you know, where they seem like they're established. But I don't know, like, I don't know what the purpose of, like, the fiance showing up and like semi being at odds with the the nurse or the doctor or whatever and like the fiance and the blonde haired guy they are not characters they're just they're just cannon fodder and the nurse she's a nurse and that's she's also just cannon fodder it's 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 a lot like all the other characters besides Ash in the previous Evil Dead but that was disappointing you know you have good actors. And you ostensibly have the ability to write good characters and they don't even try. Yeah, and, and that that was really frustrating because, you know, if – and I think the reason for this is because in the middle act, this movie could be played in whatever order. I, I mean, I guess not in whatever order because some people are dead and they, they have to operate in other things. But it really just does feel like multiple five-minute scenes that you, just, that you can that are uploaded in their entirety on YouTube. It's like so-and-so's death, so-and-so's death, so-and-so – like when so-and-so cuts off their arm – it's just a series of of isolated scenes. This person goes into the bathroom, then this guy goes after her, then you get, like, when she's in there, you have the violent scene, and then he goes after her, and you have another violent scene. And then he comes out, and then the fiancé comes there, and then they have, the, or she has her violent scene with the hand. It's just, it's just a series of isolated moments that exist purely to show off effects. If if the the effects serve the story, more power to you, but here it really just does seem like Every every intention at highlighting the level of craft and expertise that I know Fetty Alvarez uh, has because because of moments in this and because of other things I've seen from him, 
All of that is put on pause, like you said, just so we can point the camera at this amazing prop arm that we're cutting up to bits. Um, but yeah, it, it just feels like it ceases to be a film that's trying to do anything meaningful. And it's like, oh yeah, it's like the original, but realistic this time. And it it loses its identity doing that. Yeah, and that you know that works fine in a scene, like if if that's yeah, just a scene. But that is a straight 30, 40 minutes of the film. Like the the, the entire second act and beginning of the third is all just wallowing and suffering. Um, and that's one thing I really just really bothered me about this movie is like. It, it acts as if it wants us to care about these characters, if it wants us to empathize with them, but you can't empathy and sadism. They don't, they don't mix. So if you got, if you want us to care about these guys, you can't just be gleeful about their pain. Um, you know, obviously suffering is a, an important part in any kind of like film, you know, victories are more satisfying when they're earned through pain and suffering, but there's nothing being earned. It's just, it's, it, it is torture porn. Um, and so the, the film pretends to be meaningful. It pretends to have something to say. It pretends to be about, about characters. And then it just is just gleefully hurting them. Oh, and not and just over and over and over again. Um, the, the, you mentioned the scene with her, uh, her cutting off her arm. And that really bothers me because, like, she cuts off her arm and it doesn't do anything. She's still possessed. Like, they, like at least like in the, in the the first film, as gleeful about torture as that was, he cuts off his arm. He saves himself, and that's it's like a victory for the character. Here, he just wants to hurt this poor girl, so he has her go through all. You know, she literally chops her arm off with a, a bread knife, and it does nothing. The next scene, she's just possessed. It meant nothing. It, it's just torturing the person and taking you know taking. Things that were actually meaningful in the freaking campy Sam Raimi version and robbing them of any meaning. And also, they play the hand thing twice? Like, what the heck is with that? Like, that could have been interesting, you know, you know, somehow connecting, you know, removing your hand, you know, casting aside this addiction, you know, make give that to Maya, make it mean something, you know, her choice to, you know, her cut off her hand is somehow a step towards her victory. Like, do that, but you play it once and then you play it again. It's, it's just, I'm just kind of rolling my eyes when they have her, like she pulls her hand off under the truck because it's lost all meaning because they've already played it once and wasted it. It's just, and another scene that really annoys me is, is like the tree rape with the first film. You had, you know, a couple late teens, 20 something morons who just like, Oh, what, what can we think of? That is the most shocking uh, thing to you know to gross out an audience and they came up with that and they were right it is horrible and gross and stupid but with this film you have their actual professionals you know, they're they're grown they're, they're adults and they put this scene in simply to be a homage to the first one and they do and again i feel like they could have if they i don't know why they would want to homage that scene but if they wanted to they could have again woven that back into the, the idea of addiction. I don't know, you know, bring it, you know, have something along those lines, but more along, uh, but, but, but speaking into, like, you know, how degrading and dehumanizing addiction is, and, and some, you know, something about the you know, the, the lengths people will go to, just work that that 
that con that that you know really gross concept from the first film into this film with something that is meaningful to the plot, but it just isn't. It's there, it happens, and it's gone, and it's just as vile as it was the first time, and it means it, it means even less. Just like there's so many opportunities for them to you know to to work on this really fascinating theme they've they've tried to explore, but they just squander it at pretty much every opportunity. Yeah, that's it. the only thing that I'll say better about this scene than the original is the first scene seemed to try to be much more like sexual in tone. Um, like the slow pan of the, the little things climbing around the legs here. It just seemed like they didn't really want to revel in that aspect. It just kind of happens and we move on. But even still at that point, then it's just something to include for the sake of including it. It means nothing. It, it's It's more or less just... A, a box to to check off now. It's funny you mentioned that, but is it just me? Was this feel like there was the evil presence, like really bizarrely sexual in a lot of the, uh, the rest of the film? Like there's a like a lot of really lewd, explicit lines coming out, which they did in the first one. But it was like, if, and then like a lot of the attacks feel kind of rapey, especially the one the scene where she attacks the brother's girlfriend in the basement, which is like almost full on rape. Almost, it's just it's weird. So to, that one just kind of reminded me of the ways like demonic possession has often been portrayed. Uh, just because <laughs> that's that's such a a creepy and and twisted and intrusive way that that people have portrayed the the ways you know demons attack in films like this. And a lot of those lines very much reminded some were almost identical to lines that Linda Blair gave in The Exorcist. Um, some it, it, to me it kind of felt like demon possession movies using that kind of common language of of the the insults and and physical ways that that these demons act out when they possess somebody hmm. yeah i guess to move back into something though that i uh i really enjoyed uh and i said this at the outset jane levy is yes. pretty incredible here um i remember i first took note of her whenever I watched Don't Breathe a couple months ago. And I just thought, you know, this for, for a movie that's so isolated and so quick moving and so tense, she is giving a knockout performance here. Uh, she has a, a very, very expressive face. She can say so much just with her eyes. Um, and so I, I didn't know it was actually her in this one. So when I saw, it, I was like, Oh, awesome. Like I, I want to see if she's as good here. And I think she really is whenever she's portraying like, uh, the level of addiction at first, you know, before the possession or anything, it it feels very real and uncomfortable. Like if you just imagine yourself as a friend there, it's like, man, how do you deal with this? Like this person that you love, who's just lashing out like this and trying to like doing what's best for her despite this. And then uh, after her possession, whenever she she goes back into the room and she's on the bottom bunk. And she's just looking at him with these wide eyes and she's like, there's something in here with us. We've got to get out of here. Like, I've I've never, or I rarely see portrayals of just raw terror that realistic. Um, just her, the way her breathing, her eyes just like express so much panic and confusion and the way she staggered her words. It's there, there are moments like that where she is just giving an incredible performance. Yeah, she is just fantastic. And you, just, you talked about her eyes. It makes sense that he would cast her in a film where there's pretty much no dialogue and she has to look terrified. And, you know, give it, you know, giving that so much soul and personality. I mean, 
again, you know, going back to the negatives, I'm really irritated that they make her the villain for the ent- the middle of the film. But yeah, she they, she does make such an impact that when she does come back at the end, it's still it, it's still you still feel something. Uh, so just a, about her becoming the villain for the middle act, I'm not even opposed to that in concept. I think it could have been improved so much, though. Um, so just a, a couple of the positives that I think came from that. I, I actually prefer the deadite makeup from the original. You know, despite you you can tell the the quality difference is, is crazy. But this one was very much more the the typical kind of like creepy eyes, pale skin, like that. Just what we think of, you know, when we watch this kind of movie. The first one with the high pitched voices and the, and the weird eyes and just the makeup, mm-hmm. it, it creeped me out more. And I still think the creepiest image across all four movies is is um, uh, the sister under the the cellar door just kind of bashing the door agging everything mm-hmm. on and well, kind of that, celebrating. that shot in this one is pretty dang creepy too oh yeah absolutely but all, all that to say um jane levy here is just excels with this makeup everyone else you know everyone else whenever they're portraying the dead eyes it's they're not bad at all but it's very much the way you'd you'd imagine it whereas here like that scene where she is going after the fiance her head movements, her eyes, her facial expressions, her delivery. I'm I'm glad that she got possessed solely for, because I think of all of the portrayals of possession, hers is just genuinely terrifying. Um, what I wish they did, though, was, you know, in the previous films, we've had the Deadites, you know, have access to their memories and... and uh, you know their relationships and things like that and they can go back to looking normal on a dime what i think would have been cool here is and i don't know how you'd explain it whether it's just um mia trying to take control over her own will and being able to actively fight against the possession itself or the demons like in some sort of cruel punishment letting her live again and be conscious again and then see just see what situation she's created and then possessing again and some way where i think that would have worked and been able to carry the themes of addiction through or the scene where she she uh pretends to be normal to to lure the uh, girlfriend character which it, no one bought it you knew exactly where that scene was going and speaking of that the characters are absolute morons in this movie yeah everybody's making constantly bets. splitting up even after people have died, like they're just going their own ways. And, and like, you've literally watched this girl turn into a demon, shoot her brother, vomit all over the other person. And you had to lock her in a cellar. And oh, maybe, huh, I guess I'm going to walk down there and you know, go play with her because I'm an idiot. and I, I deserve to die because whatever. Ugh. Yeah, there's there's definitely like they go into these scenes of isolating characters and what's that sound moments. It's just it's awful. But just to go back to that point, I do wish that she was given some level of of awareness where she it really was her. It wasn't like mimicking who she was. It's really Mia not back in control, but back in, you know, with some sort of awareness of what's going on and like I said, whether it's just the demonic or just some, the demon displaying cruelty to to let her live in that moment only to get possessed again, it would have it would have really worked with that addiction theme where she is seeing in this symbolic way the chaos she's created. 
you get a little bit of that whenever she returns at the very end, but not really much, and they don't focus on it. To me, if she was forced to just live in this situation, and I especially like the idea of maybe it is her trying to uh, take control of her willpower and fight it, because then it is very much, you know, the the direct one-to-one comparison of, of her fighting the literal demon and her fighting her own you know, personal demons for control, for autonomy. And I think now you are able to possess her. You are able to have all of these creepy, evil dead stuff. But we're running with that uh, addiction stuff all the way through the middle act. Yeah. And it's also really, I don't know what, I, I doubt it's even actually trying to make a statement. But like, it's literally punishing all the other characters for the, for their good intentions. Every character but her you know, is is killed because they're trying to help a friend. Uh, just maybe you would have thought that one through a little bit if you're going to try to be all deep and meaningful. Yeah, and that's as much as of a horror fan as I am, I, I absolutely love the genre. Uh, that's something that a lot of the films, especially slashers, run into where it's like, for me, I always, I think punishment should be earned or suffering should make sense. And a lot of times, even a lot of the dumb slashers do, you know, like the originals are essentially just like a, a safe sex PSA, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so you, you're, you know, you're always killing off the, the alcoholics, the, you know, just the, the jocks, the druggies and stuff like that. But here, or one or two characters might die, but it's a genuine tragedy. Yeah. And, and here it's, it's not even portrayed as a, as a tragedy. The, the moment of all of the violence, the image that struck me most, and I'm like, this is horrifying, but man, this image is really grabbing me. And I, I don't know how I would save it, like what <laughs> I would tweak with the characters, uh, but the image of, of the fiance, you know, she cuts her own arm off, he blows the other arm off. She's got the nails in the head. She's she's walking towards him like back kind of in some sort of control or it's just the demon trying to fool him. That image, like when she falls on the ground and she comes up to him, that is one of the most just horrific, unsettling in the moment images ever. And as grisly and gruesome and awful as it is, man, that image stuck with me. So I wish that the film couldn't, could keep that scene almost as it like as is but to just work it and include it in a meaningful way and not just a hey look how gross this is way yeah speaking of gross going back to a positive just about alvarez direction and the cinematography is this whole film just looks filthy even if it's like you're just looking at something that would normally be nice just something about the color grading and just yeah. i guess a slight smear of of just like sweat and mud and just every image of this film, you just got, you have to wash your eyeballs after watching it. Like every, everything, no matter what it is, something about the way they shot, it just makes it just feel sick and dying. And it's all highlighted by some phenomenal compositions in this. Mm-hmm. The, 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 there's, there's one gore sequence that I, I, I do think works pretty well. This is basically the first one uh, with the nurse in the bathroom. Uh, like you, you feel it building. You know, oh, she's gonna get possessed, and she she knows it too. And she starts to run away, and then she's r- walking towards the camera and just freezes. It's a, it's really it's a really simple effect, but it's really chilling. Like that, you just that exact moment, you know, it's over for her. 
Um, and then he goes in and he slips on her face. Uh, but it's like that sequence, like it's before it's, it's just as horrible and graphic and gory as the rest of the film, but it's before the film had just beaten you over and over and over and over again, but it was the first time. So you're really, it's really disturbing. You know, after a while it just becomes, you know, white noise, but that first moment where it really just goes all out is, is really, really horrible. Yeah, but like you said, horrible in a, in a really good way. And the way that scene is filmed is really creepy because it's not just the gore. That is a moment where he's like building with tension, <laughs> slipping on the skin and falling on the toilet and breaking that and like trying to trying to block with your hands and we're just going back and forth from perspectives with the needle. It's so, ooh, my skin was crawling in it in that scene. You know, I, I've, I've talked about how much I, I like the cinematography a lot, but I just want to talk about like specific moments where I, where I, I can tell like this guy just has, has an eye for stuff like this. Like the scene where, as silly as her decision to go down to the basement is, whenever she's down there and everything is blacked out except for her, and then there's one ray of light, and we every now and then like me is crawling towards her and her face sometimes comes into the light, it almost feels like Gollum just approaching out of the cave. It's so creepy. Um, and then there's a moment where she's in the bathroom and and the the lens effect, like the the edges of the the frame are almost like shaded out, like kind of fuzzy and black. And the camera is very low to the ground to where we, we feel like we're just kind of scrolling along the ground and the, the top portion just feels so huge. It's just a room, but it just... She's in there alone, and it somehow makes this this enclosed space feel huge. Like she's just this little bitty, you know, mass in this this big room. Like even in a secluded area, it's just total, total open emptiness. Yeah, and and some of those composite like that that control of of the camera and what we're looking at really helps out when he does go into like tense scenes. So uh, the next thing I I want to talk about would be. You know, as disappointing as I am with the the middle act, there's a lot in the the final act that I do do like a lot, and I think my favorite scene um, is whenever Mia is running from the abomination. I guess it is what it's called. That that was a confusing element to me, um, but whenever she's hiding, kind of like in the in the in between space with the walls and the machetes stabbing in and stabbing out, which is a scene totally stolen from a, the Raid Redemption. Oh yeah, although, although I feel like I've seen that exact same scene in probably about 20 movies. But what was funny there is, like you said, the, the gore in the middle act kind of just became white noise where it's like, okay, yeah, this is really, really gross, but my gosh, there's just so much of it that it's starting to just have lesser and lesser effect and it's just making me feel gross. And it's, I mean, it was definitely painful to watch, but man, the scene where the machete goes in and it gets her knee and like it scrapes across it pulls out that's not just in your face blood squirting everywhere but it it feels real enough to where like that may have been like the the violence that got me the most because it was like it felt so real and it in in the moment and it was in a scene of just pure tension um and it was it was highlight you know Mia was back in control so he got Lee's acting um that that whole sequence, I, I really do as 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 iffy as I am on just the way the third act comes about, like that whole last scene comes. Um, the scene itself, I think, is really well done. Yeah, I do love the idea of you know, her battling this evil incarnation of herself. Um, 
I don't really, I don't think the raining blood does, doesn't do anything for me. And, but by that time, I'm just kind of just disconnected and watching the movie. So it, it's, it's all well done, but I just, I just don't care much by the time it ends. Like, I don't feel like she's had any like kind of like moral or spiritual victory. It's just, this is what happened and we're done now. We can stop. You know, we can stop hurting people finally. And that's the thing. It's weird because, um, you know, if if she remained a character during the middle act, that could mean something, you know. But here, like, she's essentially had the victory won for her by by her brother, who was yeah. <laughs> killed. Well, I will say one thing for the film. I was so scared that they were gonna just after. He comes back. He saves her with this <laughs> horrifying-looking uh, defibrillator, you know. And like, he's just gonna go back in the house. They're gonna kill him, and that'll be it. Like, you can't do this to the character. You know, he's had he's come this way. He's had this growth. He's had this victory. I was so afraid that they're just gonna kill him. Just like, ha! You thought we were being nice, but I do love that they give him the moment to sacrifice himself. That he is in control in the end. When he dies, he when he blows up the house. It's it's him. It's not. It's not just simply making him another casualty of good intentions. And I, I love the way that scene's played in it. Like the, the revival scene, you know, as crazy as it is, one, that was one of their ways of, you know, you've got all of the the quick cuts between the, like, the defibrillator and taping together the syringes, like all of that stuff. Very classic Evil Dead there. And the scene of him burying her and the, the music in that scene I like a lot. And so, you know, as he stabs and he and he's clicking the, you know, he's switching the the defibrillator on, and we're hoping it gets her back. I I really like that whole scene, um, and I, I appreciate the fact that they do reunite them for a little bit, and she's able to witness the sacrifice. Uh, but again, that makes the the last act with her fighting her like just this evil incarnate version of her uh, lesser. Because she hasn't gotten there herself. You know, at that point, all of the victories have been won for her while she was possessed. Um, however, that being said, I really did like the the blood rain. I thought that was just really, really creepy imagery. Oh, gosh. Could you imagine filming a full, like, you know, week, two weeks in that stuff? Oh, it. I understand. Apparently, um, there was an interview with uh, Levy where she was asked what was the most horrific experience. And she said it was shooting that scene. Um and she started crying and they had to like, they just had to stop filming for a bit because she was like, I couldn't get it together. I was just, I was crying. Um, that scene looks horrifying to shoot, but, but with the, just that with it raining and having be such like a heavy rain, the entire picture at that point is just drowned in this red filter. And you've got these, like these vocal chants happening mixed with the, the sire, like this, the, the siren blaring it's so creepy and of course because we're dealing with a demonic story it's just all comes together in a in a really really unnerving scene that got under my skin in the in the way that the movie would want to all right so i think we've pretty much covered our thoughts in this film but do you have anything else you want to mention before we move into the uh, soundtrack uh no not really just uh i do want to watch it again now that i have an idea of what this movie is and i kind of picked out some of the themes that I think it was going for, I think a rewatch might help me establish a, a more firm uh, opinion of the film. Yeah. Um, did you get a chance to listen to the soundtrack? I actually haven't. Uh, this week has been really busy with uh, with 
finals and everything. Yeah, I, I wasn't going to because it wasn't on iTunes. But uh, this when the uh, the Cinema Sound uh, guy mentioned it, I went uh, got it on looked at it on YouTube. I only got about halfway through it, but the, it did. It was pretty good. It was very like a lot of just super unsettling undertones and just a very ambient uh, soundtrack. Um, there were a couple of tracks that stood out. Uh, the, I, I'll rip out your soul, or I'll rip your soul out. Uh, it was a very bombastic choir, which I quite liked. Um, Get me out of here had this like it was just, just a kind of discordant cacophony of just building dread with the air raid sirens and chanting and just screeching, you know, you know saws. It was it was just really, really, really uh, nasty, but uh, in a good way. And then she tried to kill me. It's this really just. I don't know, like, oh, it reminded me of the Winter Soldier soundtrack, where it's kind of like that mosquito that just sets your teeth on edge sound, but it's just this kind of really irritating, but in a, in a, in a very yeah, disturbing way, kind of tone that really just puts your teeth on edge. It's a very good soundtrack, but I unfortunately did not get to listen to all of it. Yeah, I don't have any specific tracks to recommend, but I, I did notice within the film several moments that I, I really like. Like you said, the, the siren and the these crazy outlandish chants going on. It just feels so creepy and unsettling. And, and I really like the, the piano motif that kind of came back throughout. Uh, it's like the one, like very somber piece of most normal sounding music that kind of comes back whenever the movie allows itself to quiet down. And the, the, the lullaby she sings, which, which I call back to the original. I think really works really well. Oh yeah. And, uh, and then I finally, what is your star rating and how would you rank it with the rest of the, the uh, trilogy? I, th- I think that uh, the central performance from, from Jane Levy is strong enough. And there's just some moments of brilliant direction from Alvarez that I lean more positive, you know? Um, so I give it three out of five stars. Uh, I think it's, there's more good than there is bad, despite my many frustrations with it. Um, if I do watch it again, or if I recommend it, it's primarily just to, to witness the way he crafts scenes when he's not just, you know, ripping people up. Uh, because like I said, there, there's some gorgeous shots, the composition and cinematography all together with, with the color grading and, and just their color palette they use for the whole film. And there's, there's a lot of really cool technical stuff in the movie that I think warrants a more positive rating. As for my ranking, um, it is my least favorite uh, because if, if a movie doesn't hit all of the marks to, you know, to make just a really great movie, um, I'm more lenient on the ones that are more fun. So um, my favorite is still the original. Uh, despite that being just a straight horror film, I love watching Raimi at, at the very beginning. I think he does a lot of really cool stuff with the camera, despite his budgetary constraints and, and all of that. And then it'd be Army of Darkness, then Evil Dead 2, and then lastly, the remake. Okay, so I give it three stars as well for many of the same reasons. Like, I, I know I've come across them not really liking this film, but there, there's, as you said, there's just so much objective skill and quality going on, even though I don't think it comes together to a lot. Like, the direction is gorgeous. I love the the ideas that they play with at the beginning, and Jane Levy is absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, it doesn't co- come together too much, and I, I have a lot, of, a lot of irritations with it, but there's still... I'm gonna give it three stars for now. I, I danced on two and a half, but yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna skew positive. And as far as the ranking, it is Army of Darkness, just because it's fun. Evil Dead Two, because it's also fun. The, and then the Evil Dead. Uh, you know, it, it's. And I have I have very similar thoughts as far as for the Evil Dead and then the remake. Just neither one fully grabs me. I see a lot of good stuff, and then just a lot of eh. But 
I I do see myself rewatching the uh, the original long before I rewatch this one. It's 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 a far less unpleasant experience, and which is which is kind of what it comes down to. Like, if a film is gonna make me miserable, at least give me a lot of good things in compensation, and this doesn't give me a lot of compensation for the misery it puts me through. So uh, when it was first released, it grossed uh, fifty four million domestically and. 43 million in the foreign markets for a worldwide total of 97 million on its 17 million dollar budget which i'm surprised they haven't rushed the sequel out i mean this there is a lot of sequel talk like just uh in november uh alvarez released uh, put out a statement about how they they have a like they still want to do it they have an idea he just wants to do don't breathe two first um so yeah i'm just i'm just surprised they didn't you know get a new director or something because you know that's a decent budget that's a decent uh profit yeah, I think part of that would just be because of the relationship they built with Alvarez and so much of the praise whenever you hear it from uh, Raimi and especially Campbell, um, a lot of the praise is directed at Alvarez and, and what it was like working with him. So it sounds like if, if they want to make another one, they would want to continue this relationship. Yeah, that makes sense. So the critical reception... Uh kind of skewed pot like us kind of skewed positive but it was also pretty mixed uh it holds it holds a 62 percent on rotten tomatoes and a 57 percent on metacritic um, however the fan rea- reaction seems to be very positive i think uh you're having the very explicit blessing of you know the blessing and involvement of the original crew probably helped foster good feelings but over the years i've pretty much heard only positive things about this movie you know from horror from horror fans i haven't heard, i haven't heard a lot from you know general film fans but horror fans seem to be very vocal in how much they love this movie um i guess it, it made the target audience happy yeah i definitely see a lot of love in most lists of you know you know horror remakes that actually turned out to be good most of the time this is gonna be at the very least in the top five a lot of the times at in the number one spot um it is one of those few instances of a movie deviating in a major way it's still retaining uh, a lot of that love, uh, and even in terms of just the critical reception, despite you know those mixed scores, uh, I've also seen a lot of just people in in film critic circles, not even necessarily just like solely involved in horror circles, uh, give this a shot and and really really enjoy it. So I've seen I've seen a lot of praise for for it, and I think a lot of that is is. Um, after Don't Breathe came out and it ended up being praised by critics, a lot of people went back to reevaluate it, knowing his skills as a director and kind of said, you know what, there is a lot of good here. Yeah, and unlike all of the Platinum Dune uh, remakes, this one seems to be very comfortably uh, accepted into the series by fans at large, um, which I'm not very fond of the film, but uh, that, that def- definitely doesn't happen a lot, so it must have done something right. As far as the whole overall legacy of the series, you covered a bit of this um, in the opening. After this film, there was a TV show, Ash vs. the Evil Dead, which continued the timeline uh, you know, 20-ish, 20, 30 years after Army of Darkness with uh, Bruce Campbell reprising the role. It ran for three seasons before being canceled earlier this year. Yes, so There's still a lot of talk about a direct sequel for this film, and I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Alvarez seems to seems to want to make it but uh it's de- if it comes it's definitely going to be after don't breathe two and <laughs> three or four other films because alvarez seems to be in pretty in high uh seems to be in pretty high demand although the bombing of uh the girl in the spider's web might not help him there so maybe he'll have to come back to this maybe it'll it'll be a, a 
another situation with Raimi where he does crime wave, like, fully expecting it to blow up, and then it's, eh, no, not really. So let's go back and do Evil Dead 2. Are you interested in a sequel to this? I mean, I have become an enormous fan of Alvarez. Like, Don't Breathe is almost a masterpiece, and despite a lot of problems with The Girl in Spider's Web, it is a brilliantly directed movie. But, and I, and I also I adore Jane Levy, but I don't even know if both of them together is, is like much of an enticement for me if it's going to be the, in this tower. Like if they were either going to make a more serious film or a more goofy film, I could be on board. But if it's going to be this, I don't know. Uh, personally, like for myself, yeah, I, I definitely would be interested. Um, like I said, I... I love horror movies and I love it whenever you've got a director with a lot of talent. So even whenever I come across three stars like this, the moments of brilliance in this for me make it all worth it. And if I had like, I would just look at it as, as a guaranteed example of good direction in a horror film. And that always makes me excited. Um, so if I, if I, if I knew that he was following this up and maybe, you know, with his growth, Maybe he does find a way to to stick within this tone, but to avoid some of the stuff that annoyed me so much. Um, and I don't know how it does how it would do it. Like you said, the the clashing tones are very there. But if we get another Evil Dead proper film and then a, a sequel to this, and they are able to merge it, <laughs> even if it's just to satiate my curiosity as to what that would look like, I I welcome it. Let me get Bruce Campbell to come and give an Oscar worthy sad old man performance or something uh just give yeah logan for for ash oh that'd be incredible all right uh so that was the evil dead remake again i'd like to ask you guys to please take a moment to go and give us a rating and review on itunes if you want to like us on facebook we're there as franchise fatigue podcast you can follow us on twitter and instagram at at franchised pod and if you want to find our other episodes you can go to franchise fatigue podcast.com and where can people follow you james uh, so the two main places would be uh, on Letterboxd. I'm there as JL Hamry. It's J-L-H-A-M-R-I. As well as the Facebook group, Star Wars fans who actually like Star Wars. Um, I keep repeating myself at this point, but yeah, it's a, it's a great way to to maintain contact with Star Wars. Although now it's it it feels like we're really back in just normal podcast mode. You know, we we felt like a Star Wars podcast for so long, but but even still, it's a it's a fun way to remain in that community. And I am also on Letterboxd. I'm there as Gabriel Green. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm there as Gabe A. Green. And I'm on Instagram as Gabe the Great Green. And so next week, we will be taking a break from Franchise Fatigue. And we'll be doing an underrated episode um, before we begin our next series. We're going to be looking at last year's adaptation of Murder on the Orient Express from the one and only Kenneth Branagh. It's uh, one of my favorite films from last year. And I still get very upset at the reception that film received yeah films like this are what's going to keep these underrated episodes alive because man i really really enjoyed this movie and i get visibly shaken whenever i read all the snarky snide (laughs) rude comments directed at it because it's really great yeah so that will be next week uh and then after that we're going to do the mission impossible series which Ooh, this has got to be fun. It's one of my favorite series of all time. And yeah, with Fallout coming up this year, I'm still on a high from watching Fallout. So uh, you know, if you, just here's an excuse to go watch the series again. It's worth it. Yeah, I'm especially excited to go into that series because for me, like just based on what this podcast is about, this is kind of the ideal franchise for me where we're, it's a series 
that has, you know, several different directors, covers several different styles of film. There's so much, it, it encapsulates like what franchises are and what they can be. So yeah, it's a it's a perfect series to go through for this podcast. The behind the scenes stories will be as interesting, if not more so, than the movies themselves. So yeah, that's got to be a lot of fun. So until next week, we will see you in the underrated gem. <laughs> <laughs>